Hello, Texans, and welcome. It's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer with you Thursday night. That usually means John McClain is with us, but the general is on the mend after a fall. He's doing okay, and we wish him the very best. Our thoughts are with you, John McClain. So who better to take over than John Harris on Thursday night? Now, it's not like you're new to this thing, but, you know, you're not usually on Thursday night. No, I'm definitely not on Thursday night. <laughs> I leave that for the general. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I uh I didn't know about John's fall until just yesterday. Oh, really? I did not know. I had no idea and had no idea what had happened. So, obviously, thoughts out to the general and would hope that he's able to get back and you know, it's just not the same uh, w- without him here, and especially for you on Thursday and radio. And that's got to feel kind of weird. He's going to be on pup, not IR. I think yeah. just pup, just pup. That's fine. So, so preseason that, pup's cool. That's that fine. training camp pup, which you know, number of Texans will be on it. Well, not a big number, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think too many. I, I mean, from you know, Deshaun was tr- was trending on Twitter yesterday, and Drew walked down in the studio at some point. He said, "Hey, why was Deshaun trending on Twitter earlier?" And I was like, "I don't know. I have no idea." And then we saw a video of him doing the ropes, the little ropes course, and he was kind of swiveling hips, kind of going through That it. was awesome. And it was like, he's ready. <laughs> oh, my god, He's ready. And that's the kind of stuff. Oh, man. That's the kind of stuff he was doing with Roland Ramirez right. out there at right. the Houston Methodist Training Center after practice that I've been talking about. Even more severe stuff. That's like a real timing thing. But yeah. if you can do that, I'm guessing your knees are pretty good. Well, to that end, I would think that being able to play golf, as J.J. Watt has done, Yep. is a pretty pretty good indication that he's yeah. pretty close to ready. So, Witty was already cleared. Christian was already cleared. Uh, DJ Reader was, I want to say he was in OTAs as well. He was cleared, I believe, for OTAs. So, the ones we really, those two, I would imagine Watt and Watson are now going to be cleared. Hopefully, mm-hmm. everything's okay with JD, and he's ready to go. Uh, those would be the two that we'd have to worry about, JD and, and, then, um, and then Deontay Foreman. Yep. And I think Deontay is, you know, the ones you, the one that always, you know, those are the ones we know about. Right. We'll get that list the day before camp starts, and it says this guy's on pup, and you're like, whoa, what happened to this guy? I remember last year was Joel Heath. Mm-hmm. I remember Joel going in like, oh, wait a second, what happened to what happened to Joel when we get Joel back? And so it just creates some questions, and you hope that's not the case. You hope that if you see names on there, they're guys that you knew had injuries. I. My guess is Martinez Rankin will probably start. Yep. I'm guessing. And then my other guess is Deontay Foreman. Hopefully those are the only couple of names that we see. Hopefully there are no surprises like, whoa, what's that guy you doing never know there? Rankin, though. Hmm. We'll uh, yeah, see. I don't know exactly. I don't know what happened. I know during the, the draft uh, the draft season. Can I, Do we spell draft season S-Z-N? Do we spell it that way? Maybe we should. Uh, draft season. I don't know how much he did in the draft process because I know he got banged up at the end of the year. But I was watching him. I said this to you yes, uh, yesterday. I was watching the Ole Miss-Mississippi State game, and he had to go against Breland Speaks. And he just watching him was – I got really excited about what I think he could do in an NFL offense yeah. playing tackle. And I think he's going to be a really, really good player. And the fact that we got him in the third round I think is a, is a really good move. So we'll, we'll find out. But that's that's the only thing I really kind of hold my breath for, like – Who's going to end up on pup? Who's going to yeah. end up on the pup going into camp that we had no idea? Well, and it no could change idea. within a day. You never know. You get up there, it's Absolutely. like, all right, you're good to go. Let's go. Right. All right, let me ask you some questions here. In the next segment, we're going to do TV top fives and top five television football play-by-play announcers and Ooh. color commentators, and we might even throw in some sideline stuff. I like that. If we have time for okay. that TV top fives in segment two. Being the first segment of the program this evening, let's do this. I have some 
position group questions for you. And I'm going to go on with the Mad Radio guys morning show. I, yep. They have all these names for the shows. The, these days, all these names, in the loop, the triple threat. <laughs> anyway, I'm going on Mad Radio tomorrow morning. And I thought I'd talk about this a little bit, but I, I don't know. I'm going to feel it out here. But I do have some questions. And we talked about the running back group because, to me, the yep. running back group, I am a little iffy on without Deontay Foreman. If he can't go week one, you know, I don't feel great about the depth. I like yeah. Alfred Blue. I do like Lamar Miller an awful lot. I really I do. do and I think that he, with Deshaun Watson throwing in the rock and handing it off and all the little stuff they do, uh, I think he'll be very productive or at least productive enough to get this offense really going again. And I don't know about 30 points plus going, but going. You know, a definite going concern, able to – you know, put some heat on the opponent, and you open up with a couple of really good ones with New England and Tennessee. But running back group, how are you feeling going into camp? Here's Assuming the, Foreman here, is going to take a little bit of time here. By a little yeah. bit, it could be a few weeks. Maybe not. Let's just say hypothetically, maybe not available for the start of the season. Yeah, it, it's uh, that that's going to be the one, I think, the running back group to me that gets to be kind of tough because you don't know when Deontay's coming back. But here's the one thing I go back to. What do you think – throw a question back at you. What do you think was the best offensive performance for this team last year? Well, Tennessee, right? Tennessee was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Kansas City, he threw five touchdown passes. That was a rookie record. I still think Seattle. When you consider the Seattle, defense yeah. on the road, all that, and I think about Seattle. All right, so who better than New running, England as far two, as yeah. offensive performance, better than New England. I think so. I think so in Seattle. Yeah. And who were the two running backs that day? Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue. There was and no Deontay Foreman. There's no Deontay Foreman that day. I wow. think he played maybe one play in that game. So they they got along with now, that was one game. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to be going an extended period of time without Deontay Foreman because I think Foreman is going to end up being a huge piece of this team in, in twenty eighteen. Maybe not right away, but he's going to be a big piece of this team. And I I've seen him in the hallway and I, I the last time I saw him in the hallway is probably about five, six weeks ago. And w- when I saw him I went, Whoa. Like just body wise, mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't look down at his Achilles and go, "Oh, he's ready. He's not." He, Can you do some cutting for me, Deontay? Can you start running around just laterally? Body type, um, yeah. wow. Yeah. I mean, just looked like he had put a lot of time into the rehab, into getting his body right. You know, he reminds right me of a little bit who I was around uh, in college, Najee Davenport. That's a great. That's a great one. And we just saw a video a little while ago of him making that run against against Arizona, and it. it that's a great comparison. Yeah, Najee Davenport is exactly, but I think I think Foreman's a better. I think he's a better runner mm-hmm. than Davenport. But Davenport could do so he much. Ripped Davenport up his played. knee, you know, opening day, nineteen ninety nine, and yeah. he came back and he played in the NFL. But a lot of people down there in Coral Gables thought that had he not ripped up his knee early right. in college, relatively, he might have been the best one. Not yeah. Portis or Edger and James or any of those other guys. It might have been him who yeah. would shine above the rest. Well, he did a lot of things once he got to the NFL. He played fullback. Yep. Caught the ball very well out of the backfield. Because he was thick. He's a big guy, yes. but he's got wheels. Yeah, and I think Foreman is definitely along those lines. And, again, you're coming back from Achilles injury. So, if you go into the – if you head into – let's say you head into training camp without him. Okay, when do you have an idea when you might be able to get him back? Can you – could you survive with Lamar Miller, Alfred Blue, those two kind of leading the way? Sure, you could. Like I said, you've done it before. You did it against Seattle, and I think you could do it again. 
but you know, I actually I watched today. I was watching the Eagles' offense. I wanted to kind of dive into the Eagles a little bit and just kind of see what they're doing. And mm-hmm. there's been so much talk about what they do and and how they go about doing it. And you know, one of the things that stood out when I was watching them was they brought three different running backs into the game, and they all did three different things. And it was pretty amazing. Like they would get in I formation, and they would run Legarrette Blunt. Then they would get in four wides, or or they would get uh, they would just they would stretch teams horizontally, right. and then they would put Corey Clement in the game, and then he would catch a route out. He would catch a screen pass out of the backfield, and then Jay Ajayi would get in the game. And it was like they hit you with all three. And I started thinking, you know, that's a pretty valuable weapon to have that sort of depth to be able. to to get three well, running backs in the game all doing different things because it keeps them all fresh for 16 games. Well, that's what the Patriots do too, right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, over the last Absolutely. few years, it depends on which back. You know, Deion Lewis is in, James what you know, those things. Right. Before that, when you had uh, Shane Vereen checking into the game versus Ridley. Blunt. And Ridley. Versus Ridley. Yeah. You know, they would change it up. But isn't that sort of a tell as well? Now, they have, to a degree. They have so many other things to do. With their offense, that it's not like oh Ridley's in the game, they're going to hand off to him. Right. Or you know, for the Texans, if Foreman's in the game, they're definitely going to. Well, no, they could throw to Foreman. They yeah. could throw to Lamar Miller. They right. could definitely do that. Alfred Blue, you're probably not throwing to him yet. He did once upon a time catch a touchdown pass from Cecil Shorts, now a Texans ambassador. Definitely so I true. guess there is some versatility there. As I'm talking myself out of this, I guess it's not a tell, but you it can be. But you do have that option. It's like this guy is seventy percent. If he gets the ball, right. most likely to do this, 70 to 80%. LeGarrette Blount, when he was with the Eagles. Yeah, you're going to pound it. When they got in, in 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight ends, we caught 21. They get 21 personnel. LeGarrette Blount's getting the ball in some sort of inside zone, lead zone, split zone, something. He was getting the football in, in the run game. And, so, and then all of a sudden, Wentz would play fake it to him. Safeties are biting, and then he's hitting guys behind him. But I like the way that the Eagles mixed up all three running backs, and they did that in the Super Bowl as well. They mixed in all three running backs. The Patriots have done that. Those teams, whether it was just the way it turned out, the way it ended up, versus the Rams having a guy like Todd Gurley, like they can just rely on Gurley. Yeah. Where the Steelers have Le'Veon Bell, and they can just rely on Le'Veon Bell because they both do so many different things. They're running backs and wide receivers, whereas the Eagles are like, look, we don't have a Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley. So we're going to kind of split this up amongst these three guys and keep everybody fresh, everybody happy, everybody contributes, and that just adds layers to our offense. So I am a little worried about the depth at running back because with Lamar and with Alfred, and, and I've heard so many people in the town, sports talk radio, all channels talking about, well, I've heard someone say, Lamar's a disappointment. He's a disappointment. I said, I, really? When Tell me when Lamar was was used – the way the Texans originally envisioned him to be used. Mm-hmm. Because in 2016, they had a ton of injuries, and he had to carry the ball almost 25 times a yeah. game. I mean, he, they were using him like a Ford F-150, whereas he's a Lamborghini. you got to get him out of space. In the Tennessee game, when they did have Foreman, when, in the New England game, when they did have Foreman, they allowed Lamar to get to the outside. They yeah. used him in a little different capacity. In that Arizona game, Lamar Miller catches the touchdown pass with the toe-drag swag. Right on the end zone, yeah. on in the end Good zone point. as a as a pass receiver. He looked like DeAndre Hopkins. So it's like that's that's what you'd like to use Lamar Miller. You know, let Foreman be your be your blunt trauma. 
let Lamar be a guy that you can use to catch 60 passes yeah. out of the backfield where you can play with, with Foreman. I just feel like you, if you're not going to have a Le'Veon or a Todd Gurley, that you've got to have two or three guys that can be interchangeable, that can do almost anything in your offense at a running back standpoint. And if Foreman's not in there, then okay, Blue and Miller. I would love to have Foreman as one of the two guys if I've only got two. But if Blue, if Blue and Miller are the two got to go with, okay. And I know people will say, well, what about DeMarco Murray? What about Adrian Peterson? I just don't think there's any juice left. I think if, yeah. there, were, if there were – if there were any juice left for either one of them, I think a team would have jumped on her before. I think somebody's going to jump on them, though. Once they get to training camp. Just for a week or two and once, see how it looks. Once something happens in training camp and somebody gets banged. Yeah. I mean, what happens if we get to training camp and on second day, uh, you know, Alfred Blue gets turf toe? Yeah. Yeah, then I think one of those guys might get a call. Could be. Could, could be by this team yeah. or some, some team's going to go through that. All right, yeah. moving along here, secondary, real quick here. Because, you know, when I look at the names, I like what I see. But then I start to look at depth, but you get kind of greedy in a way also. Yeah. You start to think about, well, how many teams really have, you know, you go to your second layer. Cor- we got back backup corners who could just step right in and, and be the guy, you know. Uh, it's not always going to happen that way. But when I look at J. Joe and Johnson outside and Colvin in the slot, and if I go safeties, it's either Kareem and Reed or Reed and Tyron Matthews. Right. Right. So now I've got Kareem or Reed coming off the bench, maybe playing dime. But I get pretty thin in a hurry at corner yes. if somebody goes down, like a J. Joe or a Kevin Johnson, because I can move Colvin outside, maybe Kareem in the slot at that point. So, okay, I can hold it down a little bit there. Yeah. But it just it feels a little uneasy going in. And here's the other thing. With what I mentioned, those guys, a lot of those guys are trying out new things, especially together. You know, this sure. is a group that needs to play together. We talk about – there's a reason why we say O-line and D-backs are the tightest groups yep. because they have to work together. You know, you can make a case for anybody, I guess, but they have to work together so well and so much. Well, to that end, no matter who plays safety, mm-hmm. it's going to be the first time that they've played against Tom Brady at safety. And that's who they're wow. starting the game with. I mean, you think about it. If it's Justin Reed and Tyron Matthew, neither one of them have faced Tom Brady ever, ever. So the Cardinals never Ever. faced Tom Brady with Matthew playing. Well, you remember a couple of years ago, it was Jimmy Garoppolo to start the season. Oh. So they've he, they've not played Tom Brady. Kareem has played a little safety against Tom Brady, but he's at least played Brady. But he's going to be looking at him at a different. He's going to be looking at him in a different set of eyes, and, and that's Brady be will be different. looking at him differently as well. Well, true, mm-hmm. and so that's but but you got but with Reed and Matthew. And Kareem and Tristan Dick, who is moving back there, you 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 know you can rely on Curtis Drummond if you need it. So I don't it, the inside part of it, safety, slot, corner, et cetera. I don't feel I don't feel bad about that at all. I think that's going to end up being a pretty solid group. If I have two worries really going into training camp, other than is there somebody hurt that we just don't know about right. at this point that we'll find out who ends up on the uh, the, the uh, training camp pup, but it's depth at corner, right? At outside corner. Mm-hmm. and it's depth at tackle. If Martinez Rankin is ready to go, then I don't feel as bad about it, but I'm a little worried that he's it's going to be a little touch and go early on, especially he's a rookie. Camp, and he's a rookie. Yeah. The depth at corner, outside corner, is the one that gets me. And ironically, and in in the reason that it's funny you brought up corner because the game that I watched today was Eagles and Broncos. And the one thing in watching the Broncos, it kind of struck me because I'm looking at Chris Harris and Aqib Tlaib. And now Tlaib's with the Rams. But Chris Harris, Keep Tlaib, and Bradley Roby, all three guys 
that can cover and cover and man cover zone. They can do pretty much anything for you. I feel like you've got to have three corners to be really three corners to be really solid. Well, with Colvin, Johnson, and Joseph, I think you have three guys that can be solid, but if one of them goes down, where do you go next? What yep. do you do? Because I don't think that Kareem's going to go back outside. I don't think that's going to happen. So what's the depth at corner? And you think yes. about having – do you have three guys? Well, the Titans have three guys because they got a Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, and Logan Ryan. Now, I don't think any of them are great, but they got three guys. You right. know, Colvin's those are going to go the outside three guys. in that scenario. Yeah, you're right. It's and then it's got to be Colvin because you're going to patch outside. it up. I know you're moving two guys at that point. You're moving him outside. You're moving someone else into the nickel. But at least Kareem has played the position. right. At least Kareem has played nickel. That yeah. would be the way you would go. Right. But still, even at that point, you've got to have I think some depth at outside corner. So look, we get the preseason. Maybe D Virgin develops. Maybe a guy like Josh Thornton develops. Yep. And the two guys from San Jose State, the two rookies, Jermaine Kelly uh, and Andre Shashere, those guys. They look good in OTAs mm-hmm. in minicamp, but, of course, they're rookies. Somebody's got to develop out of that group to add. Like an A.J. Boyer stepped up when he in 13 right. uh, to be part of that group. Somebody's got to step up to be part of that group. Okay, next up, top TV play-by-play announcers for football of all time. John Harris and I will decide that. Also, some modern broadcast news as in late breaking stuff in the last couple of days that you know i want to react to it's texans all access it's the show that Gets you and keeps you up to date with your Houston Texans, Texans All Access. One week from tonight, we'll be recapping the first day of practice at training camp. One week from tonight. Because I've been counting down on Thursdays, and now I finally get to say one One week from tonight. One week from tonight. We'll be doing it. So we'll be into camp one week from tonight. Into it with plenty of info to pour over. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. We discussed running backs, secondary positions, Now we're going to talk about TV broadcasters. How about that for a segue? Top five TV play-by-play announcers of all time for football. I'm only going to go football here, Johnny. And you and I are going to decide the top five. We're going to have alignment here. Alignment. Okay. We're not going to – you're not going to give me your top five. We're going to draft together. Okay. So the number one pick in the all-time TV top five play-by-play announcers for football is – Okay, let's throw some names out there. Al Michaels. Al Michaels was the first name that came to mind. Pat Summerall. Al Michaels, Pat Summerall, those are the first two that popped to mind. I don't, I don't think there's anybody who can approach those two. I think those two are, are the best that – those two are the best. I, I feel like – I think these new guys are really – look, I think Mike Tirico is excellent. And, and I used to could, love Tirico doing college football. I used to love really? it. He did the 2003 Miami-West Virginia game which is an underrated great game of all time. It's an mm. underrated game. Mm. It's a great game. Quincy Wilson for West Virginia has a touchdown near the end of the game, and then Brock Berlin brings him back at the end, and Tariko has a great call in that game. It was a Thursday night game, and he did the game. I, I used to Brock love Berlin. him. I used to love him doing college games, Tariko in particular. Uh, I, I just haven't heard him do as much NFL stuff because well, – Monday Night Football. Yeah, that's, that's true. But I guess you know, I like Tariko though. I would de- I would definitely I would uh, we got to throw all the names out there, but mm-hmm. I could see him 
If you said, give me your five right now, he'd, pro- he'd probably be there. Uh, Tariko's great, I think, and he's really improved over time. Yeah. Not that he was ever bad, but he's actually gotten better, and he really works at it, and he's really smart. So I respect him for that. But a lot of these guys are great technicians and maybe better technicians vocally than some of the guys who used to do games in the past. If you hear a Kurt Gowdy game now on whatever classic yeah. feed you're looking at, you're like, wow, that's Kurt Gowdy, and the voice is so familiar if, you've, yeah. if you're that old, just to be honest. But, man, if you listen to what he says, the guys today are a lot better, you yeah. feel like. What? But, you know, it, he was legendary, though. He was one of the early guys. There, There's always... There's always this association that you have. And when I think of Kirk Gowdy, I just think about I think about the 70s, 70s sports, be it baseball, mm-hmm. AFL. I mean, th- those are the things that I think about. And I lo- those are two of the things that I love. I love the AFL. And then I love, I love 70s baseball. I mean, 70s baseball to me is the perfect – it was the decade for baseball. For, there's something about it. Uniforms are starting to get colored. Colorized. There was a little bit more flavor in the game. You had uh, the Big Red Machine. You had the A's dynasty. You had the Yankees coming back. And but you know the it. irony of what you're saying right now is, and you're right, it, it exploded on television. Mm-hmm. It's that yet all those cookie cutter stadiums like Riverfront, Three Rivers, and even the Astrodome was kind of that shape. Yeah, I know the dome is a different kind of facility, but you get my drift. Multi-use stadiums. Yeah, multi-use stadiums. Oakland Athletics. Hey, wait a minute. They still play there with the Raiders. <laughs> I still. love that place. I, I love the Coliseum. It's such a dive. It's it's dripping water as you're coming mm-hmm. out. I mean, it's I mean it's it's a dive. I loved being in there because there's so much history in that place. But, but and I love the it. old Raider guys walking around like Flores walking. We'll get to the, we'll get to their booth story in just a moment here. So yeah. I would say so. Michaels and Summerall, those are the two. I think Tariko's very good. I Who are we talking missing? about improving Enberg. I think Joe Buck has gotten better and better and better every year. I think Buck gets a bad rap by a lot of people. He does, but he's so easy to not like. I saw him. He's got some interview. I hate. I'm sorry that I don't know it offhand, but he's got an interview show now. Not the you know the HBO mm-hmm. one failed. Yeah. yeah. But he's got another show, and I want to say it's on a on an obscure network, but I might be wrong about that. Anyway, I saw him interviewing John McEnroe, and I think McEnroe's. Really interesting. Yeah, very. Joe Buck, to me, he asked a lot of good questions, but I don't think he's a great interviewer. No. You know, I wanted a lot of follow-ups that he wasn't giving me, but whatever. He's he's a really talented play-by-play man. I think he's outstanding a, in baseball. Yes. I still get the vibe sometimes that, do you really want to be here, Joe? Do you really like football? Yeah. You know, some people accuse Jim Nance of that. I don't think that's the case. I just think that Nance's voice is so closely associated with NCAA basketball and golf that when he does football, yeah. it just doesn't seem like it's his thing. And I think that's the, I hate to call it a trap that some of those guys get into. But, yes, and Vince Scully, you and I both are big fans of the Twitter feed, Super 70 Sports, yes. which is outstanding. So good. I mean, I'll, I won't look for a while. I'll miss the, some tweets for a while, and I'll just scroll through his feed. And, oh, my gosh, I'm doubled over laughing. He, and he really loves good. 70s baseball, by the way. Yeah. He loves it. It's it's so good. I mean, I I, I love seeing when he, he just had one on Phil Garner the other day. Oh yeah, I that saw was it. that was really good. Maybe that, I think it was earlier today, but the but Joe Buck, I as a play by play man, I I think he's I think he's solid. I think it's a good one. Nance, it's interesting because when you talk for as long as you do during a game, I don't know how many how often I've listened to Jim Nance, and maybe some of this comes from basketball, and maybe some of it comes from golf. But in just listening, listening to him call a game, 
it feels so clean. Yeah. It feels like his his noun, verb, everything is perfect. It just everything that he spoke, noun, verb, agreement is so good. But it's not obnoxiously perfect. It's no. not like Costa's perfect, which is totally perfect. And part of it is we uh, – I'm. I got to meet Jim that one time that he was here, yeah. and he was so pleasant. And I've such heard that nice from guy. people. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. And so that, that colors it, too. Like, oh, yeah. But he's good. Mm-hmm. He's really good. He doesn't step on his words. There are no likes or you knows or uhs. Yeah. He's just so clean he when, he, when he does a game. So I think, I think we'd have to think about putting Nance in there as well. And, of course, he's got ties to Houston going to U of H. Summerall, Michaels, I think Nance over Buck. Uh, yeah, I would say that. But Dick Enberg, I thought, was underrated. I think, and maybe properly rated in his day. He's no longer with us. But Dick Enberg, Merlin Olsen, they were, I mean, they were the AFC guys. They were the yeah. number one team on NBC, which had the AFC then. Yep. And it was such a big deal when they called your game. They called a ton of Oilers games. They called a ton of, uh, you know, Bengals games when they were good in the 80s. Yeah. You know, they were really adept. The, for some reason... And this is why I wouldn't put Enberg in the five. But for some reason, when you say Dick Enberg and Merlin Olsen, you know what I think about? The Rose Bowl. Oh, because they did that they once They did a the year. Rose Bowl. And that wasn't even their thing. I know. It wasn't even their thing. But they did the Rose Bowl. They were yeah. – if, if you said, look, they're going to have the, the new Rose Bowl, uh, the 2018 or 2019 Rose Bowl, and you can have any group do it, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'd want Enberg and Merlin what Olsen What did Don do Cricket and Bob Trumpy do? Oh, they did the, the Orange, Orange Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, they did. It was always Enberg and Merlin Olsen doing the Rose Bowl, and then it was it was uh, Don Cricky and Bob Trumpy Cricky here. Cricky and Trumpy doing the Orange Bowl, mm-hmm. and then when they added the Fiesta Bowl, it was Charlie Jones. Oh yeah, who I loved because he, was good. he had AFL ties, so he would do the Fiesta Bowl, and sometimes he did it with Todd Christensen, sometimes he did it with somebody else. Yeah, but I think I think it was Todd Christensen that he did he did it with. But I would associate Enberg. With the Rose Bowl, more so than I would with the NFL. Isn't that interesting? Even though he was why. the number one guy, Cricky was the number two team. But Cricky and Trumpy, it's always the Orange Bowl. So when I did a game with Trumpy, one playoff game, it was the first NFL game I ever called. I, I probably have told the story on the air, but I'll tell it quickly. So I get called because Howard David can't make it to this Dolphins-Ravens playoff game at – Joe Robbie Stadium then, or whatever they called it then. It was in the uh, early O's. Okay. It was right before I got the job here, but I didn't know I was getting the job yet. So it was 2001 season playoffs. Very low-scoring game. So I, I just prepared that morning for it. Yeah. And Trumpy, the thing that freaked me out more than anything is hearing Bob Trumpy's voice in my headset. <laughs> yeah. I had, like, basically grown up listening to him, yeah. and he played in the league, of course, and Trumpy was amazing. I always liked him, but I'm hearing – He's smoking, first of all, in the booth. Wait, hold on. He smokes. He, okay. Oh, yeah, you're smoking. He's during smoking. the game? During the game, he's smoking, <laughs> lighting a butt. Now, he'll hold his hand. The windows are open, right? Yeah. So he'll hold his hand on the window frame, and the butt is kind of out the window in between his index finger yeah. and, and his middle finger, and they'll bring it in, take a drag. And when I was listening to the recording of the broadcast, I would hear I'd hear the click of the lighter when he was lighting up. He's basically chain smoking because <laughs> that thing was going every 10 minutes. That you kick, never kick, told kick. me that story. That's the best oh my story gosh. ever. Trumpy is chain smoking during a playoff game. That's so, so awesome. Good. Oh, man. I don't, how do you do that? Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how you do that. I mean, I was That's just. That's fantastic. But it, it's funny because I was nervous enough, but 
I always say this about being nervous. If you're not nervous every once in a while, you're not living life Absolutely. to the fullest. Usually when you get nervous, it means you're doing something exciting. Right. So I was a little nervous, but when I heard his voice in my headset, not even seeing him because I was looking right at him, but yeah. hearing the voice in yeah. my ears was, oh, my gosh, I'm doing a game with Bob Trumpy. This is blowing my mind right now. Yeah. Anyway, but he, um, I liked him on the air. Yeah. And I liked him on the air when he was with Cricky, you know, doing too. all those big games and we're here at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. This place is a dump. No, they wouldn't actually say that. I, I thought I thought Cricky and Trumpy were were very good. I, yeah. I liked that's a, that's a hilarious. Is story. Michaels I, uh, see Al Michaels? I got to give him his due. The funny thing is, the greatest call he ever made was for U.S. Olympic hockey. Hockey, a moment that transcends everything, of course. But he's known as the football guy. Yeah, you know Monday Night Football. You know when he was. Even, and then Sunday night. What he was, I mean, even before he got in the NFL, he was the voice of Monday Night Baseball. Yeah. And he was he was outstanding. Jim Palmer. He was so good. Uh, I mean, he... Tim he, McCarver did that with Palmer, right? Didn't they both do it together? Yeah, they did. Or maybe... It was Palmer... It yeah, because the NBC team was... Um, Gary Sciola. Yes. It was it was uh, Cricky and Gary Sciola, if I remember correctly. And... Didn't Scully... Was Scully on NBC for a while before CBS... Got it or something? Right in the late in the late eighties, I believe. Okay. Because right. I I want to say that Vince Scully was on a call for the eighty eight Dodgers championship. Scully's another football guy, right? Yeah. Scully's another he's a baseball guy. But Scully's another guy who did football also. People he, don't remember that in the eighty one NFC championship game, the catch. Scully did it. Scully was on the play by play. On TV. Yeah. He, I, I want to say it was it was he and Hank Stram. It was Scully and Hank Stram. It's so funny how Scully did the Dodgers. So in the baseball postseason, uh, Jack Buck, Joe's father, does the TV call of Kirk Gibson. Of I don't believe what I just saw. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. the the home run for the Dodgers against the Oakland A's. Scully's doing the radio call. It's Jack Buck's call that's the big call. Jack Buck's doing the national TV feed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so interesting how Jack Buck, St. Louis <laughs> Cardinals announcer, does well, yeah. the national baseball. Scully was doing national. Now, it was years later, but not that long, right. really. It just looks, it felt longer at the time. How about analysts? All right, let's go analysts now. Madden is the all-time greatest coll- uh, professional football analyst. I'm sorry. I, I just can't give it to anybody else. No, I, I He's iconic. He, the game, I think, helps this, but... He kind of made it an art form. Yes. You know, before... Very true. It was something that, yeah, was necessary, and these guys were good, but I think he made the analyst much more of a star than the analyst ever was before. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Even think- even with Howard Cosell, I'm sorry to interrupt, but even Howard Cosell and Dandy Don Meredith, it wasn't quite... Like, I wouldn't call... The, those guys are color commentators, right. but they're not analysts. They're not one guy transforming the booth the way Madden did. It, but they did certainly make their mark, because I'm going li- to go there. It was a little bit theatrical with those guys. Yeah. And for and for good reason. But Madden gave you... Madden gave you a little bit of... He gave you that vibe that you were standing right next to him in a bar, and you were watching the game with him, and he didn't get into too much football ease. You know, hey, you're looking at 21 personnel, and, oh, they're running the B-gap right here. Yeah. And, you know, he just... He, he made, made it, it English. And then he would show on the sideline the Gatorade bath. And he'd circle yeah. He just and the brought, turducken. He had everything that you, I would think, want an analyst. And when when Summerall and Madden were calling a game, I mean. You knew it was the a, biggest game possible. Uh, I mean, it was, you, you could 
you didn't want anything else. Those guys separated themselves. But I, I mentioned this. Cosell was not an analyst. He was a commentator. Right. But I'll put him in this category, and I think he's number two. I, I just think that, you know, you talk about guys who made it an art form. Cosell, there was – and he, but he was an announcer to, ladies and gentlemen, you are watching a truly remarkable fo- – I mean, he was just incredible. You'd get chills the way he would announce something. Now, it, sometimes it became a parody of itself. Right. And eventually might have to a detrimental point. I mean, how could it not if you're saying what I'm just saying here? But I don't know. I, I still think the way he delivers the lines makes the moment bigger than it really is. Well, the other thing about Cosell was back in, in the the heyday of Monday Night Football, there was no mm-hmm. ESPN. So there was no way of seeing what the other teams in the NFL were doing unless you had – the halftime highlights that he always yep. did. And he was he was such a unique broadcaster who who looked at football and looked at the whole thing so differently and delivered it so differently and was so unique in that way. But the hard part for me is to separate Cosell and Meredith. It's almost like Cosell and Meredith have to be kind of almost one yeah. because they were so good with each other yeah. that Dandy Don could tell you what was happening during the game Cosell could look at it from from a, a unique angle, and together they ended up making incredible, incredible Monday Night Football. We, we make magic. the rules here, though, so we could say Cosell slash Meredith. Done. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think it's there. Give me another one. The, we only have like a minute left in this deal. The current ones, you know, oh, Chris Collinsworth. <sighs> I know. I don't acquired I just, taste. He really is. You I don't mean, always want. It's like it's kind of like eating at a restaurant where. The food's pretty good here. It really is, but I don't always want it. It's not like Madden is steak. Right. You know, Cosell and Dandy Don, it was steak or at least a great burger. Like, I want that. And fries. And it's like something I really want to order. Collinsworth, I might enjoy it. It might be like really good fish, but I don't really always want fish. You know, the thing <laughs> about it analogy. is, Mark, as I, think, as I think about it, we've named how many play-by-play guys? I mean, a we've bunch. named a bunch. But you don't name a when you lot name of the analysts. You get to Madden and you talk about the Monday football guys, and then it's well, who are the long running guys? Deardorff was in there for a long time, and I thought he was pretty good. But we'll never put him in that list. No, uh, I thought Fouts held it together when Dennis Miller was in the booth because you needed yeah. an analyst. But he's not like one of the primo primo. Although I personally like him. Romo is turning a lot of ears, heads, if you will. But in it's his one first year, year in, you just don't know. I don't know how well it's going to hold up. I mean, Gruden's the other one. I mean, Gruden was I like was interesting to listen to for sure. I liked him, but I wouldn't call him iconic. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think when you're talking about analysts, it's Madden, mm-hmm. and then Cosell Meredith, and then kind of everybody else. All right, sideline reporters next, and whatever else is happening around the National Football League. It's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you, keeping your company. The general on the mend. We hope he certainly gets better, and we know he will. We know he will. He had a fall. It's been all over social media. General, we love you. Get back soon from the Houston Chronicle. All right, so, Johnny, we are talking about top five TV football play-by-play guys, top five TV football analysts. We didn't mention Aikman, by the way. Is he worth mentioning? 
You know what bothers me about Aikman and Buck? They kind of sound the same to me. They have the same register. <laughs> that speaks volumes of yeah. Aikman's really good voice. He's got good pipes. He does. But sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, is that Aikman or Buck talking? Oh, it's Aikman. You know, you can almost not differentiate them at times, especially on the fly when you're, like, doing other stuff when they're doing the game. Because, like, when I'm watching games at home, yeah. it's not like I'm, you know, I, I'm studying every second of it a lot of the time. I'm doing stuff, you know, because we have our game. There's nothing more important than yeah. our game to me. So often I'll be, like, doing other things while I'm watching, like a lot of people out there. Troy's good. I don't get overly one way or the other with Troy. I don't know that I – I don't know that I'd learn a whole lot. At least with Gruden, I, I would get something that maybe I wasn't thinking about. Okay. But with Troy, I'm like, it's good. It's a, it's a solid broadcast, but I don't get overly, uh, okay. Yeah, and but I'm you're a, probably I'm, watching it a lot different than Well, yeah, exactly, people. and that's what I was going to say. I have to mm-hmm. pres- preface it with there are going to be some things that I know that they're going to say that sound, to me, sound very blasé, mm-hmm. and, and even to you, to Andre, to – uh, they're going to sound blasé, like, okay, yeah, we get that. But then some fans are going to be like, oh, I didn't know that. I think he delivers – he and he and Joe Buck deliver a good show. Mm-hmm. It's a good show. I mean, but it's not anything where I would go, i got to have that every single week. Right. With Nance and Romo, I'm curious to see how that builds over, over the years. Because over the years, Nance and Sims, I, I don't know that it was – I don't know that it got much better. But I was very intrigued, like watching the AFC Championship game, just with Romo and with Nance. Was like, I'm curious to see how this goes for the next few years because mm-hmm. it could go way left. But I also feel like if this takes a trajectory, I think it will. This could be a really enjoyable group to listen to doing games. Well, you know what they don't do on television? They don't have outstanding sideline reporting because I don't think they're interested in it. I don't no. think you know what you provide on the radio is something really unique and very valuable to the broadcast. With uh, a lot of these television sideline reporters, okay, a lot of it's eye candy. You know, yeah. not that they're bad reporters. Right. You know, I think Erin Andrews is actually a pretty good broadcaster. Yep. But, you know, we all understand that she looks great and everything. Now, Michelle Tafoya, not that she's unattractive, but she's really good. She's, she's a great the broadcaster. She's the, she's the best. Yeah. She's the absolute best. And I think what she's able to get, how she tracks it down, I mean, mm-hmm. from, a reporting, from a reporting standpoint, I think she is she is top notch and right. poten- potentially without peer. Lisa Salters, I think, does a pretty good job. Yeah, I do too. I was going to mention her, but I think I wrote her down. I think maybe the best sideline reporter there is mm-hmm. is Holly Rowe doing oh. doing college. I think Holly's fantastic. Yeah, I think she does a really really good job. Uh, I thought Holly Rowe and Shelly Smith did did really good. The, the other one that I would say, and this comes from college, is. Um, oh gosh, why am I blank on his name? Tom Tom Rinaldi. Right. I think Tom Rinaldi's pretty good. Um, I think. He what about is... Doctor Jerry Punch? Remember? Now, now you're going back. Jerry Punch was he was pretty solid. When but... you could say Doctor, like I if I could be like Doctor Mark Vandermeer on the play by play, like that would be so cool. <laughs> I, I'm going to go get some kind of doctorate in I don't know. You know, eating fast food or something. Yeah. Is there what's the easiest doctorate to get? D- Jerry Punch. When you say to me, Doctor Jerry Punch, the first thing I think of is sideline reporting. That's the first thing mm-hmm. that I think about because I associate him with that that responsibility. Michelle Michelle Tafoya to me in the NFL is I just I don't know that there's now there are, now most of the sideline reporters I work with in some way, shape, or form, sharing information or whomever. The best that I have worked with down there, like Aaron. 
Andrews was good to work with. We yeah. did the Saints game back in twenty the Hard Knocks year, so twenty fifteen. Yeah. And so we were down there and so we were getting near halftime and she was gonna get she was gonna get JJ in the third quarter and because she was getting JJ in the third quarter, I was gonna talk to Bill coming off the field. And so, as I always do, interview Bill O'Brien coming off the field, and she walked up to me. She introduced herself. She was as nice as she could be. She's like, hey, do you mind if I just listen and take notes as you're walking in with Coach O'Brien? I said, well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, no doubt. But the best without, without a doubt that I have worked with that has been so gracious and so nice and sharing information from both sides of the field is Shannon Spake. She worked one of our Fox games. I think it was the Cardinals game. Right. She was outstanding. I mean, just nice on top of it. I mean, would come over to me with information, hey, the Cardinals just told me that such and such such and such is banged up. No. She was was outstanding. Shannon Spake is the absolute best. All right. Just so great as a silent reporter. If we go around the league here, a couple of broadcast stories around the league that are national today. Beth Moens and Brian Greasy, they will call Monday Night Football Week 1, part of the doubleheader. Mm Mm-hmm. I've talked about Beth before. I think she's really good mm-hmm. in terms of content. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of female play-by-play only because I don't like high voices doing play-by-play, yep. and, and that includes men. So I'm a I'm not discriminating against women. If a woman could have a voice like John Facenda, <laughs> I'm all in favor of her doing play-by-play. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, I'm not really that much in favor of it because I like deeper voices. Here's another one. The Raiders hiring Brent Musburger to be their play-by-play announcer, which blows my mind. I mean, I love Brent. You are looking a lot. Look, Brent is, you want to talk iconic. I mean, Brent. But first of all, the one, you know, obviously I'm going to side with the local radio announcer for the Raiders, Greg Popo, who's been doing it forever, by the way. When you, I challenged you, and I challenged you. I told you a couple years ago that I thought would be a really good segment on radio, and, and I was right. And that is when you call the play-by-play voice. You get an interview with the play-by-play voice of the other team. We call it Men Behind the Mics. Yep. You had Papa on twice in 2016. The game that we played in Mexico yep. City and then the game that we played in the playoffs. Right. I listened to all those Men Behind the Mics interview. That Those two that you did with Greg Papa are the two that I remember. I remember when he, he was, was so done. Good. He knows it was the unbelievable. Team. He was talking about things, and I just went, wow, he's outstanding. Like, he knows that team. Yep. It was fascinating to yep. listen to. And when I heard that they were going, I, I thought the news, really, they're going away from Papa to go to Musburger? Oh, this is a joke. Because the first person that I saw tweet it was, it was a, it, it was a fake account. It was like yeah. fake. Yeah, fake I something. Remember. I remember that. And I thought, okay, well, this is, okay, ha-ha, they're going to Las Vegas. That's where Musburger is because he's doing – a gambling type podcast and radio loves, show. He loves it. I mean, it's great. And of course, the Raiders are then going out to Las Vegas, but they're not waiting until Las Vegas. They're doing it now. They're doing it now. So and that means Tom Flores out as well. And he'll be in the crappy radio booth. So enjoy that, Brent. You know, you're used to top flight broadcast facilities. Get ready for radio, my friend. Now, look, I've always thought he was supremely talented. He's 79 years old now. Maybe he's not, you know, maybe he's lost a few MPH off the yeah. fastball, so to speak. The one thing about NFL radio, well, a couple of things here. All right, it's radio. Not everybody watches the game on television. You're listening to the radio. You're driving around. You're doing that. But I get right. it. The majority of people watch on television. But it's not just about 
listening to the radio as the game is going on. It's the highlights on NFL Films, yep. which are semi-immortalized in NFL Films highlight reels during the week, mm-hmm. the annual highlight reel, all the social media highlights that are poured out with NFL Films that have the radio calls yep. on them. I mean, you're really sort of the soundtrack or part of the soundtrack of NFL football for your city and that's why the voice gets so heavily identified with the particular team, and that's sad to me for Raider fans and certainly for Greg, who lost his gig to Musburger. Yeah, and I thought Greg was fantastic. And you just you knew he bled silver and black, and obviously Tom Flores did as well. But they, it, it, I heard somebody say something about, well, you know, Greg Papa was getting up in age, and Tom Flores in the combined booth was like, 161 years old or something oh, like that. Brent Musburger's 79. Yeah. It's so like they're bringing in me, and I'm 46. And Flores belongs you in know? the Hall of Fame, by the way. Yeah, I agree. Two-time Super Bowl winner. Uh, absolutely. Played quarterback. Are you kidding? A- absolutely. I, absolutely. I he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. But uh, that's a that's a discussion that John Lopez will want to take up. He's already taken up that discussion. Yes, he has. And uh, he, and he got me to marriage. see the – he's got a lot – like, if he could present for Flores, I think Flores would have a really great <laughs> shot to get in. Johnny, thanks a lot. You got a mark. That's the show for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back at it tomorrow at 6. Have a great night, and go Texans.